Our scripture reading this morning comes once again from the book of uh, Genesis. Uh, we will look at Genesis. Well, I lose this and I won't know what to do next. Uh, we'll look at Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30, and uh, beginning at verse 25 of the 30th chapter of Genesis and reading through the end of that chapter, Genesis 30, beginning at 25. Listen as God speaks to us from his word this morning. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country, giving my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you, how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later uh, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and, Jacob's pa- and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar, almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the stick, the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. But he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flocks were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before, their, before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Let's pray together. O oh Lord God in heaven, you are the God who gives your word to your people, and you give it to us, O Lord, for us to first of all see you as you are, see you as you desire for us to see you and to understand you, but you also give your word to us so that we might not only recognize you as the great God, but that we might become your obedient servants, and so we know that your word is for us so that it will guide us and direct us, and so we pray that you will help us to see you, great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in your word this day and that we will determine on the basis of that word how we ought to live for your glory. And we ask that you will grant this mercy to us because we ask for it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I suspect that just about everyone who's in this room this morning, and that even includes you kids, has at some time or another pursued after prosperity. Uh, you, in some way, from a very early age, have experienced the social societal pressure that comes upon us uh, uh, so that we can increase our, our riches, to, to be more rich than we are. And, and our culture itself actually makes judgments about people on the basis of their net worth. If you've got lots of zeros after your bank account, people think you're better than others. And not only do other people think that way, but the strange thing is that because of the pressure that's on us from the world in which we live, we begin to think that way. We begin to think that other people who have lots of money are better, and we think that we can become better people just by coming to get more money. So we feel and experience that kind of, of pressure upon ourselves and upon the judgments that we make for others. And in the text that I read this morning, there are two fellows that we meet here, and both of them are interested in pursuing uh, uh, prosperity. They both want to be richer than they are. Uh, but neither Jacob nor Laban will ever win an award for integrity. Uh, as we've looked at the life of Jacob, we've seen very clear examples of someone who is dishonest. And Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, uh, matches Jacob, at least in terms of corruption. Uh, we know about Jacob. Jacob is uh, in Padanaram with uh, Laban. And why is he there? Because he's running away from his brother who's threatened to murder him. And the reason why his brother has threatened to murder him is because, one, uh, Jacob has uh, uh, sneakily stolen from, uh, from uh, Esau, his brother, the birthright. You'll remember that he, he swindled him, if you will, for the birthright for a, for a bowl of what the text actually says is red stuff. Uh, some kind of stew. But not only was that what he did to his brother, but Jacob also tricked his blind father into giving the blessing that, uh, that uh, uh, his father Isaac wanted to give to, uh, to Esau. And uh, Jacob uh, tricked him uh, into giving the blessing to Jacob instead. And uh, uh, we find out what, what Esau says about him. Esau describes his brother uh, in these words, as one who cheated me these two times. Uh, but Laban matches Jacob, you, if you will. Uh, uh, Laban is the one who tricked Jacob. He deceived Jacob. And what he did was that, uh, that he made this deal with Jacob that he would give his daughter Rachel, the one that, that was uh, described to us as uh, beautiful in facial features and also beautiful in form. And uh, Jacob loved her. And uh, sneaky Jacob, Laban comes around, as you'll remember, and Jacob wakes up on the day after his uh, uh, wedding, and he has Leah for a wife. And what does Laban do then? He swindles Jacob into what? Serving him for another seven years. And so, uh, so he gets Jacob's uh, service for 14 years. Now, as we look at this text, we see uh, strange things going on. We see Jacob, first of all, it seems almost like he's trying to deal with this dishonest Laban, and he's trying to deal with him in an honest way. But as we watch the text and as we go through the text a little bit more, we find that dishonest Laban is being dealt with by dishonest Jacob, and we see that coming out. 
But we have to remember, while we see all of these things transpiring between these two conniving, deceitful people, Jacob and Laban, God is at work. God is bringing about his purposes, and he's demonstrating to us, and to those of us who, who dig into this text, he's demonstrating to us something about God. Uh, now, as we, as we enter this uh, text, we find that, uh, that Jacob uh, wants to return to Canaan. He wants, as he just says, to go back to, uh, uh, to, uh, my, uh, <coughs> go to my home and to my country. And, and at first we may say, well, Jacob just wants to go home. He wants to go back to the place where he's born. But, but my suspicion is, my judgment is, that Jacob means more than simply going back to his home. Jacob also wants to go back to the land of Canaan. And why does he want to go back to the land of Canaan? Because he has received that promise from God, that promise of blessing, that this land of Canaan is going to be his land. And uh, uh, back in Genesis 28, we actually looked at the way in which God made that promise uh, to, uh, uh, to Jacob that uh, the land would be his and when he returned from his uh, sojourn in Paddan Aram. And I take it that this is what Jacob is talking about because as we look at this text, we see a kind of sneaking in, if you will, as Moses writes all of this reference back uh, to the promises that are made in Genesis uh, chapter 28. Now, in the midst of this interaction between uh, Jacob and Laban, uh, Laban shows his character uh, when he begins to deal with the Jacob. Um, uh, the first thing that we notice about it is that, that Laban doesn't behave in the way in which one would expect uh, him to behave, even with an indentured servant. Uh, the tradition was that indentured servants were given uh, something, uh, some, some financial help, maybe some livestock, something like that, in order for them to get started on their way after their time as an indentured servant. None of this do we see in the text at all. Nor do we see Laban coming along and offering what was uh, the genuine wage that was offered to, to a shepherd. Uh, Laban doesn't do that at all. That's not uh, what we see in here. And we would expect Laban to, uh, to at least with someone who is his son-in-law to try to treat him in that way. He would try to give him that, uh, that uh, little bit of whatever it was uh, that he had to give uh, to get, J uh, to get uh, Jacob on his feet uh, with his daughters and with his grandchildren. Now that Laban should have done that. And nor does he make the offer that we can see in this text of about 20% of all the newborn of the flock would belong to the shepherd. And I think we have to be suspicious about Laban as he seeks, it seems, to find a favor with Jacob. Uh, and, and this is out of character, out of character both for someone who is, who is the owner of a business, if you will, and also out of uh, a character for someone who is the father and not the son-in-law in such a way. And um, uh, it just is that it's, un, it's, it's unnatural, if you will, in this situation for, uh, for Laban to portray himself in, in the subservient terms that he does. Uh, and my suspicion is that Laban is being Laban. He's engaged in some kind of, of deception. He's uh, trying to, to trick Jacob. And uh, uh, we can discern why, why Laban is doing this, because Laban is trying to manipulate the circumstances because he doesn't want Jacob to leave him. He doesn't want to go away. Now, all of us Americans would think, well, that's nice. He wants his daughters and his granddaughters and his grandsons all to be around him so he can be one big happy family. Be careful. 
Be careful of making that judgment about Laban. Uh, the reason I say that is when we get to the next chapter, chapter 31, uh, you can read from verse 15 uh, what Laban's daughters think about Laban. And they claim that uh, he regards them as foreigners of outside the family, not worthy of his benefits. So I don't think there's anything that we can judge that Laban has sort of nice familial feelings toward his daughters and his granddaughters. What is going on with Laban is that he recognizes that Yahweh has been the source of his increase in wealth and that blessing that God has brought upon Laban has come because Yahweh has determined to be a blessing to Jacob and all those who, who uh, uh, come in contact with him. That's the promise that God made to him back in chapter 28. And when we look at verse 27 of the text that we read to you this morning, uh, we find out why Laban wants to do this. So the text actually tells us that, that he learned about the way in which Yahweh blessed him uh, through Jacob. And how did he learn that? By divination. Now we don't know what uh, Laban did. We don't know the kind of divination that he was engaged in. But we do know that, Jake, uh, that Laban carried, uh, kept in his household a number of gods. In fact, when we get to chapter 31, we're going to find out that his daughter Rachel, when she leaves, what does she do? She steals her dad's gods and packs them off with her. So Laban is one who, who uses these, these false gods, and through the use of these false gods, he's come to the conclusion that, that I'm a lot richer now uh, than when uh, Jacob came. And the reason why I'm richer now is because Jacob was here and Yahweh's blessing has been upon him. He recognizes that he's the beneficiary of God's blessing because of Jacob. And then Laban goes on with this uh, a bargaining, if you will, and he says, uh, what shall I give you? Now, he starts this off knowing what the wage, ordinary wage, would have been. And uh, uh, Laban here reminds me of this uh, automobile salesman that I've encountered, I suspect some of you have encountered, and he says to me, Alan, what will it take for me to put you in that car and drive off on it today? And what he's trying to do is to get a number from me so he can then make the number bigger. And what I think Laban is trying to do is to get a number from Jacob so he can make the number littler. You see, I think that's what he's doing. He's trying to manipulate uh, the situation here so that he can keep uh, Jacob and uh, uh, the blessings that, that come from him. He wants these benefits, but he also wants them as cheaply as he can get him. And uh, as we have seen with Laban all through that, he's not above uh, exercising a little deception to, uh, to achieve his goal. Now, Jacob uh, tells us that, that the reason why he wants to continue to work for Laban, at least, is because he wants to get some money for this family that he has. And uh, uh, that's uh, why uh, Laban makes the offer, or what shall I give you? But Jacob is not interested in a gift from Laban. In fact, he goes about making a counteroffer. And that counteroffer is, he says, I'll tell you what. I'll take all the multicolored uh, goats and I'll take all the black sheep 
That will be my, my payment. Now, we have to remember, most uh, goats in that era were uh, not mottled, not very, col very colored, and they were, uh, they were all black, and most sheep were white. Those were the dominant characteristics that they found there. And Jacob even offers to separate out these multicolored goats and these uh, 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 black sheep so that they aren't mingled in with, uh, uh, with uh, Laban's. And he says to Laban, uh, you can even test my honesty. You come here and you look at the flock and you see any multicolored ones and you see any black sheep and you know they're stolen. They belong to you. Jacob seems like he's being really upright, really uh, dealing with this deceiver Laban in a, in a right way, in a moral way, in an honest way. Uh, this is Jacob's pledge of honesty. Uh, I have to confess, as I studied about Jacob here, I'm not completely sold on his absolute honesty. And as we go through this text, I think we'll see some other things that goes on. Now, now as Jacob is making this commitment to separate the sheep uh, that are black and the multicolored goats, what does Laban do? Well, Laban takes all them away. He takes all the multicolored goats, he takes all the black sheep, and he takes them away, and he separates them by three days. And why does he do that? Because he doesn't want any accidental breeding to go on. He doesn't want any of those sheep to bear black, uh, 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 black offspring, and he doesn't want any of those goats to have uh, multicolored goats. That's what he's about. He separates them by by three days, and uh, his purpose, I think, is genuine. He, Jacob has made this deal with him, now he's trying to cheat on it, the very first thing that he does. Now, when we look at Jacob, though, at first it looks like he's dealing with a dishonest man in an honest way, but as the text goes on, as I mentioned before, Jacob's true colors come out, if you will, and Jacob is just as dishonest as Laban is. They're two of a kind, if you will. A cheater meets deceiver. And we get into this text, and if you were paying attention when I read it, your mind starts to get all twisted up as he talks about Jacob taking these sticks, you know, from these different trees. And he takes these sticks, and he gets out his little knife, and he cuts, as I suspect, circles or rings around them. And so there's the dark part of the bark that's there, and there is the light part of the wood that's under the bark. And then Jacob takes these sticks and he puts them in front of the places where the animals drink and where the animals breed. And he does that so that he can get what? Multicolored goats. That's his purpose. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to get multicolored goats and he wants to get black sheep. And, and when we read this text, it's, it's very difficult for us to understand. And my take is, that Jacob is taking on some kind of folklore that tells us, tells them this is the way in which you get multicolored goats and this is the way in which you get black sheep. Um, and, and this ruse that, that Jacob is, uh, is using here only makes sense if Jacob is the only one who knows about this because Laban the cheater would never have engaged in a deal with Jacob if he thought there was a way in which Jacob could get a lot more multicolored goats and a lot more black sheep. I mean, Jake, Laban would have never done that. So, so it's some kind of thing that, that it works. Now, all of you are sitting there and saying, Preacher, do you believe that? And the answer is no. I'm like you are. 
I went to school and I was exposed in my science classes to Mendel's theories about uh, genetics. Someone actually put in front of me the Punnett square and I had to figure out, you know, D and R, dominant and recessive, and I had to figure out the possibilities. You see, in our era, we now know this kind of folklore isn't true, but Jacob believed it. I think that's something for us to keep in mind. Jacob believed that he could do this, and what was Jacob doing this for? So he could cheat Laban the cheater. It's exactly what he was doing. Jacob's true colors come out here, if you will. Now, what Jacob then proceeds to do is he, he separates then his mottled colored animals of the goats and his black sheep away from uh, the rest of the flock to keep them away from, from uh, uh, Laban. He's pulling the same thing that uh, his father-in-law had pulled upon him. But not only does he use this strange thing with these different sticks, but he also looks at his flock and those who are really strong, those who are really uh, nice-looking sheep, if you will, and those who are the, are the better of the, of the, of the uh, goats, and he breeds those so that he gets the strong ones. With those little weak ones, he breeds the weak ones, you see. He takes a weak little white lamb, you see, and he breeds it with another little white ram, and they get weak little offspring. <laughs> Jacob takes the good ones, the strong ones, he interbreeds them so that he gets black sheep and mottled goats. That's what he's doing, you see. He's manipulating things so that the text tells us in verse 42, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Now, Jacob's deceptive practice works. When we look at this text, that really, for me at least, that really bothers me in some way, that this deception, this, this nonsense, if you will, about sticks with different colors on them actually works. In fact, the text goes on to tell us that, that, that Jacob uh, becomes a, a rich man as a result of this. Uh, you know, look at what it says to us in the, in the last verse of the chapter. Uh, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, camels and donkeys. He, he got so many multicolored uh, goats and so many black sheep that he was able to sell them, have money to pay wages for male and female servants, to get camels and to get other livestock as well. I mean, Jacob really prospers uh, through this device. And when that happens, you know, I, I suspect that some of you are like me and you're sitting there wondering, what's going on here? What in the world is going on? It ain't supposed to work that way, is it? It ain't supposed to work that way, especially when we talk about it in church. And it ain't supposed to be like that in the Bible, is it? Cheaters aren't supposed to get ahead, are they? Well, you see, during the time all of this is going on, Jacob the cheater is engaged in cheating. Laban the deceiver is engaged in deceiving. And God, the sovereign, majestic ruler of heaven and earth, is working on his plans. He's taking all of this deception, all of this wrongdoing, and he's furthering what he wants. And we can't look at this text without seeing that hand of God that's at work there. Jacob is moved by his desire, as I said before, to return to my place, to the place that God has promised to him. And, and this, is, this is the way in which God is working out his promise. He has told Jacob that he will get the land, that it will be his, it will belong to his offspring. He's told him that. And now God is at work, so he's bringing that about. He has promised Jacob that his offspring uh, will 
They'll be like the dust of the earth. And here is Jacob now. In, in, in a matter of 14 years, he has uh, 11 sons and at least one daughter. His, his, his progeny is growing. We see God bringing all of those things about. And I think as we look at this text, we, we miss something if we don't look at what's happening to Laban. Because here is Laban the cheater. In some way, in the midst of his cheating and deceiving and dealing with another cheating deceiver, Laban loses. And throughout the whole of the Old Testament, what do we keep seeing? That God allows people's evil to grow until that evil comes to bring them difficulties, to bring them the bad news, if you will. And we can't escape recognizing that God is in control. And even though it doesn't always work out kind of one for one, we keep seeing over and over again the God who is in heaven, the mighty God, the sovereign God, the God who is righteous, brings judgment. He brings judgment. And we need to be reminded that God is righteous. And everybody who sits in this room has to recognize someday, someday, that righteous God will deliver his judgment upon all that have done wrong. Don't miss that part of the text, even though it's not front and center of the text. But what I think is going on mostly in this text is the way in which God demonstrates that he is a gracious God. The graciousness of God is that which is coming out, which is overflowing, if you will, in this this text. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that, that God's grace isn't triggered God's grace is not in some way dependent upon uh, our knowledge or our abilities, particularly our knowledge about science. And when Jacob used the sticks, he thought he was really changing the colors of his flock for his benefit. And my suspicion is, even when Moses uh, uh, recorded this occurrence, that he thought that worked. Everybody sitting in this room knows better. Uh, neither Jacob as uh, misunderstanding nor our knowledge about genetics uh, is the main point. What we see here is Yahweh arranging all these things in order that Jacob might pr- prosper and that God would bring about what he has uh, promised to him. And my suspicion is that all of us who in some way have been involved in the pursuit of prosperity, in the pursuit of success, we have judged that our success or our prosperity has come about because we're clever. We're smart. We know just a little bit more than somebody else. And if you make good stock buys, you always get, and you get profit from it, it's because you were ahead of everybody else. You were smarter, you were more clever. You know, if you get a good grade in school, or you in some way succeed in your your work in school, it was because you were just a little bit better than those other kids. You were able to do things, you had better study habits, or uh, something of that sort has come about. We all tend to think that way. We all tend to expect that we, it's because of our our benefits, It's, 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 it's because we were good. And as I say that to you, you, you think, yes, I did that, I did that. That, that, that came into my head. But you're sitting here in church and you also say, I know better. I really know better than that. I know why I was blessed. I know why those things came to me. 
I know that they came to me because God is gracious. It wasn't my cleverness. It wasn't because I was smarter than somebody else. It wasn't because I had gotten some special kind of knowledge or insight in order to make my success come about. I go to church and I know what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans. All things work together for those who believe. It's the hand of God that is behind all this, behind all these things that may be corrupted in innumerable ways just as they were corrupted with Jacob and with Laban. God's grace is not dependent either on our moral excellence. You don't need to work very long in America to understand that morality doesn't always lead to benefit. And immorality doesn't always lead to difficulty. In fact, you could all probably stand up and tell me about how that happens. How somebody who doesn't do the right thing, somebody who actually engages in morality, benefits, and somebody who does right finds failure, finds difficulty. So we have to be careful that we remember that we receive God's blessing because of his graciousness. Now, don't get me wrong. Moral behavior is not irrelevant. But moral behavior that's engaged in because you think that by being good, you can manipulate the sovereign God into bringing you blessing, and in particular, you think that you can manipulate that God into making you prosperous. Don't be Jacob, but neither be Laban. You don't obey God in order to manipulate God. You obey God because you love that God who has loved you from before the foundation of the world. So be careful, brothers and sisters. Be careful that you don't fall prey to that. We also have to remember that God deals with us like he dealt with Jacob in response to the promises that he makes. It's his grace that is reflected in those. And it's our tendency to think that we play a determinative role in our material well-being and everything else. And we need to recall that even a scoundrel like Laban, somebody that we can hardly find anything good about, concludes what? Yahweh blessed him. Now, Jacob, now, Laban is so, so uh, theologically, so spiritually insensitive that he concludes the reason that he's come to that conclusion is because of divination, because of the use of some kind of gods. But be careful. I hope that we're not, we're not as spiritually insensitive as Laban was and that we make the judgment about how we get God's blessing. We get it because God gives it to us because of his grace uh, so that we see that that everything that we have comes from the hand of of, of God. Jacob likewise saw the hand of of Yahweh and the prosperity of Laban and he, he acknowledges that Yahweh blessed Laban because he was present there and uh, uh, we don't know how Jacob, Jacob would come to that consciousness but clearly it's there. And, and when we, when we experience Experience God's blessing, as most of us in this room have time and time again experienced God's blessing, we have to remember it. I think probably just about everybody here knows the Lord's Prayer. And brothers and sisters, the Lord's Prayer only makes sense if it's God who gives us our daily bread. There's no reason whatsoever whatsoever 
to ask him to give us our bread daily if he's not the one who gives it to us. We're dependent upon God's grace to satisfy our daily needs. Uh, also in this text, uh, we see that, that God demonstrates his graciousness in other ways. As we have seen in this incident in the life of Jacob, it reminds us that God is gracious to us in all ways. Yes, in material ways, but it also this episode reminds us that Yahweh's grace comes to us in providing us with our salvation. It's, I've told you this before, and I probably will tell you again as we go through this series, that God uses the family of the scoundrel Jacob to bring whom? The one who will bring blessings to all the nations. The one who will bring blessings to people like us. And how does he do that? He sends from the offspring of Jacob his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to come upon this earth to suffer for people's sins, to die upon the cross for those people's sins, and God attests that sacrifice of Jesus was successful because he raises him from the dead. Out of the life, out of the offspring of that scoundrel Jacob, he brings this. And for those of you who trust, uh, uh, of you who trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, uh, you, you know what the great benefits of redemption are. You belong to Jesus, and you know it's not because of your works, but it's solely because of the grace of God, that unmerited favor of God. And for those of you who question or don't really trust in that Jesus, you too can experience that grace. If you will but put your trust in Jesus, if you will say, I can't save myself, but I trust what Jesus Christ did upon the cross to take away my sins, you will be experiencing God's grace. And from that God who is gracious to you, he will have given to you all the benefits, all the blessings that come of even heaven itself and the glorious reward that Jesus gives to us. I started off by asserting that everyone, or nearly everyone in this, uh, in this room, has been uh, pressed uh, to seek prosperity. And I hope that as we've looked at this text that I have uh, convinced you that, uh, uh, that uh, grace is the reason why God makes his provision for you. And if, as we have talked about these things, you are reminded of your own moral failures. If you recollect that in seeking after prosperity, seeking after success, you have failed to keep the law of God, that you have broken his laws, I remind you, God is gracious. And if you confess your sins to that God, because of what Jesus did, that God who is faithful and just, he will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you. As you pursue prosperity, I encourage you to do so with the full recognition that you can and that you must Acknowledge 
that whatever prosperity you have comes from the hand of God. I commend you the words of the Apostle Paul that he gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides with everything that we can enjoy. Japheth is a scoundrel. Laban is a cheater and a deceiver. And horror of horrors, we understand that. We understand what it is to be a deceiver and a cheater. But we trust in Jesus. Cheaters, deceivers, who confess that Jesus, hear him say, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, once again we have seen your goodness, your amazing and unsearchable grace poured out upon evil people. And as we have seen that, oh Lord, we are reminded again that we are the beneficiaries of your grace in Jesus. And so what do we do, oh Lord? We say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we offer our thanks in his name. And together we say, amen.